You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. Um, so at the start of the show, I mentioned that we got an email. We often put it out to you that you're welcome to suggest masterclasses. And uh, we got an email from Ndando saying that, please do a masterclass on Ramadan. I have several Muslim colleagues uh, that I'm not very close to. They're fasting for Ramadan. So I wanted to know more uh, on the about this religious practice. I think it would make me relate to them better. That's what Ndando said. So luckily, um, we are still within the holy month and uh, we thought, Let's use this opportunity this week particularly to bring you a master class, answer your questions, maybe things you were too embarrassed to ask. Hopefully they will be they will come up in the session. You can give us a call as well to ask your specific questions. Uh, this year, Ramadan started on the 12th of April. Um, and even amid a global pandemic, most of the world's estimated what 1.6 billion Muslims are going to, have been observing um, uh, the, 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 the holy month, have been fasting as part of the um, this holy month, which means that there's a good chance you might encounter, just like Ndandu, you might encounter someone, a friend, a co-worker, um, a neighbor, a child's teacher, for instance, who will be fasting and observing the activities that are unique to the holy month. So it's really a great opportunity for all of us to uh, gain a better understanding of uh, Ramadan. So it, it, it is a pleasure this afternoon for us to welcome Mulana Ibrahim Bam, Imam at the Newtown Mosque and SG of the Council of Muslim Theologians on the show to guide us through this conversation. Imam, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, good afternoon to you and good afternoon to all the listeners. So what's the best appropriate uh, way to, to refer to you? Well, uh, I, I'm quite easy with regard to it, but uh, normally there is a title that uh, goes with the religious leaders in the Islamic faith. Uh, these different uh, uh, cultural practices. So the Indo-Pak subcontinent, normally they will call uh, the religious leaders Molana. And uh, in the Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Arab countries, normally the religious leaders are referred to as Sheikh. Mm-hmm. So um, both, uh, I'm quite comfortable. You can call me even Ibrahim. I'm quite well. I see. Um, your line seems to be fading and getting, you know, it, it comes and goes. Is the, I hope there's something we can do, uh, to, to get it more even. Um, but let's, let's give it a try anyway. So, um, let's dig into it. Tell us a little bit about the history of Ramadan as it arises, particularly in the holy text. Well, firstly, Ramadan is the ninth month in the Islamic calendar. And uh, as such, it is the most blessed month. Uh, we normally associate Ramadan with fasting, but uh, it is not necessarily only related to fasting. Fasting is a very important part of Ramadan, but there are many other aspects that are uh, pertaining to Ramadan. The blessedness of the month, the fact that the, the Quran, the Holy Quran, uh, the revealed book of the Almighty, uh, which Muslims believe have come from the Almighty, uh, was revealed in the month of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. So it adds to the honor and the blessings of Ramadan. Therefore, together with the fasting, we have special prayers in the evening uh, to conclude a reading of the Holy Quran, which is done throughout the month. So fasting is one aspect. So basically, it's a blessed month, and there are many aspects that come under the blessings. And the way the Quran says, whoever finds the month, let him fast. So the Almighty has used 
the blessed month of Ramadan uh, for Muslims to conclude and to fulfill uh, the obligation of fasting. So when you say find, are you referring to the moon? When you say find, what, what does that mean? Well, fine would be one would be the moon, but whoever comes across the the month of Ramadan, let him fast in the in the month, and then of course you have the detailed explanation of how you are supposed to fast. Mm-hmm. Yes, the beginning of the month does begin with uh, the sighting of the new moon, mm-hmm. uh, which in Arabic is known as the Hilal, the crescent, the be- which uh, heralds the beginning of the new moon uh, and heralds the beginning of Ramadan. And also sees the end of Ramadan because uh, the next month is also by the sighting of uh, the new moon. Mm. So, uh, yes, uh, Ramadan starts and Ramadan ends uh, with uh, the sighting of the new moon. Yes, Mulana, I think we must try and sort out your line. Uh, so let's take a quick break as I put Mulana Ibrahim Bam, Imam at um, the Newtown Mosque and also SG of the Council of Muslim Theologians, just uh, to my producer so that we can try and sort out that line. Uh, we want you to have comfortable listening as we have this conversation, an hour dedicated to understanding more about Ramadan, a holy month that is observed by over 1.2 billion Muslims around the world. And the Imam was explaining bits about, and we'll get into the calendar. We need to understand the calendar a little bit more, um, but uh, explaining really where it arises um, and how it is referred to in the holy text. It is believed to be uh, 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 the, the month where the message of fasting um, uh, was 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 given, was handed down to the the, the Prophet Muhammad, and um, this is why it is then. Uh, observed um over the uh, across the world so we'll get into details about uh, the other pillars the other aspects and of course the calendar that defines when you find and how and, and when it happens in the year a quick break then we return to our masterclass 702 masterclass 21 minutes past two and we continue our masterclass on Ramadan with uh, Mulana Ibrahim Bam. He is Imam at the Newtown Mosque and SG of the Council of Muslim Theologians. Um, Mulana, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I'm hoping that the line is much clearer now. Um, I wanted to also get to understand the calendar because Ramadan is the ninth month, right? It's in the ninth month of the Islamic calendar. How does it work? How does the calendar work? Well, Islam, uh, the calendar goes according to the lunar calendar. Now, uh, the normal Gregorian calendar works according to the solar uh, system. Now, one of the benefits with regard to the lunar system, so we have different months. You know, you have Muharram, Safar. Uh, Ramadan is the month in which we fast. Uh, days after three months, in uh, two months, ten days, in fact, two months after Ramadan, we have the month of Zul in which uh, we perform the pilgrimage. So it is based on the lunar system. Now, one of the benefits of the lunar system is uh, is that, firstly, of course, there is uh, the aspect of uh, doing it on the basis of uh, the sighting of the moon. The second is the lunar calendar is 12 days um, shorter annually than the solar year. year. <laughs> now, if, for example, Ramadan was to go according to the solar calendar, we would have had a situation where people in the Northern Hemisphere, for example, would have only have fasting uh, in, in the summer months. And people in South Africa, for example, might have only had uh, fasting in the winter months. 
Now, one of the benefits of having it in the lunar months because of having 12 days shorter is in a normal cycle of a life, you will have the opportunity or you will have uh, the challenge maybe to say that sometimes you will have your fasting in summer and sometimes you will have it in winter. Now, one of the things that actually how it plays out is that in uh, fasting in summer is longer days. Uh, in some ways it is more challenging. Mm. In some ways it is more rewarding. Whereas in winter days, for example, where we are now in South Africa, uh, the days are relatively shorter than the northern hemisphere. So we have a relatively shorter day uh, than our, our fast would be for 12 hours. Whereas the fasting for those who are in the UK, for example, presently would be something like 15 hours. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, thank you for outlining that. Um, and I guess also it explains why they one every time Ramadan rolls around, one of the biggest search questions on Google, for instance, is when is the start of Ramadan? Uh, question, because there seems to be a lack of clarity until it is confirmed about the precise start. That, that, that is one of the challenges we have. We have challenges with regard to people who are employed. We also have great amount of challenges with people who are in, in, in the schools and the universities. And, uh, you know, how, how do the university authorities, uh, how do they set their exams, for example? Mm. I must say that, uh, and this is something that uh, we as Muslims in South Africa uh, value a lot, that because of our interaction uh, with people of various faiths, uh, there is a greater understanding uh, of, between one another and harmony between the faiths compared to maybe other parts of the world. And um, we will get a call from the university at the beginning of the year outlining when are the possible dates. Sometimes it's very easy. Uh, the moon might be in such a way that it will be easily sighted on a particular day, so you would be able to calculate uh, more or less, um, you know, quite... Um, uh, you know, with, with quite a degree of authority that is going to be on this day, but sometimes it can become very challenging. This Eid, for example, the end of this Eid, just to give an example, uh, the starting was uh, quite um, uh, easy. It was going to be more or less expected to begin on a particular day. Uh, but uh, the sighting for the end of Ramadan is rather a complex one, and we have a situation and a possibility of it being either next week Thursday or next week Friday, depending upon the sighting. And of course, that creates its own excitement because people do go out uh, in various parts of the country to go inside the moon, and it is more uh, easily sighted in some places compared to others. Cape Town, for example, would be the latest in terms of sunset. So there you normally have a better chance because uh, the moon would be a little bit more in terms of its duration. Mm-hmm. So yes, these are all dynamics that the theologians and the scholars have to look in in terms of making a determination. Yes, yes. Um, you touched a little bit on this earlier on in our conversation, but uh, let's look at the pillars, the pillars of Islam, what the others are and where Ramadan fits into uh, these pillars. Yes, uh, we, we, we have five major pillars. And uh, I, I normally put uh, this in terms of when I do explain the pillars, it is like when you start off a house. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first thing you do is to put your pillars and to put your foundation very strong. Uh, thereafter, whatever happens, happens over and above the foundation and over over above the pillars. So the first thing that you do is to put the pillars and the foundation strong. And the five pillars in Islam is uh, what we call the testimony, the testimony of faith, uh, which consists of two things, two parts. 
One is be- believing in the oneness of the Almighty, and of course there's a great amount of emphasis upon uh, the oneness of the Almighty and that he has no partner uh, and he has no equal. And then the second thing is um, the aspect of the, uh, regarding the Prophet Muhammad as his last and final messenger, which is one of the pillars, the testimony of faith. The five daily prayers, uh, which goes according to the different uh, times. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have the five daily prayers. Uh, you have uh, the fasting of Ramadan. Uh, and then you have two and a half percent that is obligatory to take out of uh, certain of your wealth that must be given out to the poor. And the fifth is to perform the pilgrimage uh, once in a lifetime at least. And that is if you do have the means. So that is our five pillars. Mm, and so speaking of the pillars, yes. then we say, you know, I, I normally give this examples, you know, this beautiful aesthetics. You know, you have a beautiful building uh, and all of these are, uh, uh, you never you never see the beauty of a building by the by the foundation. But if you don't have the foundation, even if you have a beautiful building, the building collapses. Mm-hmm. So all our other aspects, the emphasis upon good conduct, uh, honesty in trade, honesty in your uh, in your dealings, these are the aesthetics of the building. But the first thing you do before you start of any building is to see that the pillars are, are correct and the pillars are firm and strong. Right. And uh, then uh, Ramadan, where does that then fit in? It is the third pillar. It is the third pillar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take the headlines in a short while, but we're also inviting calls, questions, your curiosities about how um, uh, this holy month, what what are some of the technicalities and features of the holy month of Ramadan? Uh, here's a question that's already come in. Uh, what is Ramzan? I've also often heard it used interchangeably with Ramadan. That comes from one of our listeners. Well, uh, uh, Ramadan and Ramadan, maybe I should just correct myself with regard to the pillars. Uh, it is um, the fourth pillar, the, the giving of zakat is a third. But of course, these are, uh, in terms, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't portray with regard to the importance. But in the saying of the Prophet, he has made mention of zakat before the, the, the fasting of Ramadan. But Ramadan, it, it actually, uh, there are different pronunciation of the word. So you will find that uh, the actual word would be what Ramadan but in certain, like for example, the Indo-Pak subcontinent, they will use the word Ramadan. Uh, so it is used, it is both the same thing, but in terms of different places of the world, uh, pronouncing it differently. The word Ramadan actually means uh, a heat that scorches. Mm. So intense heat that scorches the earth. Now, why is it known as uh, Ramadan? Why does it mean and how does you have the link between the actions of Ramadan and the linguistic meaning of Ramadan is we believe two things. One, it, it scorches uh, the, the earth, so it scorches the person when he feels the thirst, so there's a scorching of the throat in, in experiencing the thirst. Mm-hmm. Or from a spiritual perspective, it scorches away the sins which the Almighty wipes and forgives when a person undergoes uh, the challenge and the effort of uh, keeping fast. Yes, and we'll look at that spiritual discipline that is required during this time. But first, let's take um, the Eyewitness News headlines. My guest this afternoon is Mulana Ibrahim Bam, and uh, we'll continue our masterclass with him on Ramadan. Right, we're back to our masterclass with Mulana Ibrahim Bam, and he's our guest this afternoon. He's the Imam of the Newtown Mosque and also the SG of the Council of Muslim Theologians. He's been giving us a guide um, as far as Ramadan is concerned. What does this holy month 
entail? Some of your questions have already started in, uh, started coming in, and this is a masterclass inspired by an email from one of our listeners, Ndando. Mulana, um, here is the first voice note. Please ask um, your guest um, under what circumstances people are exempt from fasting. Um, and then the other question I had related to age. At what age um, is it advisable to undertake your first fast? There we go. Did you catch that question? Yes, um, thank you so much. There, there are exceptions. Um, and exceptions are with regard to those who are still young, very small children. Uh, before they reach maturity. Uh, the second it be those who are ill uh, and those who are uh, excessively, you know, elderly who cannot manage the fast and those who are traveling. So those who are in traveling, they are given the option of either to fast or to make up the fast after Ramadan. So that, that is what, what it is. Uh, in terms of when do people fast, you know, there's such a culture of, of fasting in the Islamic uh, community, in the Muslim community, that normally children would have to start fasting from um, physical maturity, which, which of course there are signs with regard to it, which are mentioned by the jurist, but would be from, from 12 to 15. Uh, but you find that uh, children competing with one another to fast from the age of 9, 10. Uh, <laughs> but although we, we, we do give them the guidelines that it is not compulsory for those children to fast, until they reach physical maturity. Yes, and in your list, I didn't hear you mention pregnant women. Yes, uh, pregnant women. Uh, there are many, many, uh, many aspects with regard to uh, people who are ill, where the jurors normally give this ruling that go by the advice of the doctor. Mm-hmm. So the doctor, whatever he says, uh, you go by that particular type of medical uh, advice. So if, for example, the medical advice is that it is not beneficial for you to fast, then go by that advice. Right. And this includes pregnancy. Yes. yes. Right. Um, here's another question. It says, question to your guest, what is the intrinsic connection between Ramadan and Hajj or Umrah? No, now, in terms of Hajj, Hajj is a completely different uh, type of pillar. As we have yeah. made mention, the five pillars, the five pillars, one is the testimony of the faith, the performing of prayers, then the giving of the compulsory, uh, obligatory type of charity, then the fasting, and then the hajj. Hajj is done in another month. Uh, so there is no, the two are distinct pillars uh, and distinct actions. There is one aspect that, that uh, there is a link in that there is an added reward uh, for performing the minor pilgrimage in the month of Ramadan. And, of course, it's, it's one of those things that... Um, uh, because of the situation, people have not been able to go. But many, many people, uh, you know, throng to Mecca uh, during the month of Ramadan, although it's not an obligation. The obligation is in another month, which is Hajj, another action, but there is added reward in doing the minor pilgrimage in the month of Ramadan. Ah. Um, and also, uh, they're also marked by the, the celebrations to mark the ending. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Well, the, the, the ending is, is, is known as the Eid. Uh, Eid has its um, most beautiful type of uh, celebration. And, of course, uh, more than a celebration, it's supposed to be a thanksgiving and a thanks to the Almighty that he gave us the opportunity to be able to fulfill a command. So there is happiness in fulfilling that command of the Almighty. But, of course, we know humans are humans. Uh, when there is these aspects of happiness, uh, then there is a degree of family get-togethers. Mm. 
And uh, in, in each and every region of the Islamic world, you have different manifestations of that. Uh, you know, you have a different manifestation in the, for example, Indo-Pak subcontinent, the Arab world, in Africa, and in different parts of the world. Yes. Um, before we took headlines, our, you, you touched on the spiritual discipline. And I thought, let's spend some time uh, reflecting on this as well, because it is a month that does uh, ask um, that there be spiritual discipline. What is the state? Talk to me about the the mental, the heart state, the spiritual state that one needs to be in and what is one seeking to, to achieve through the, the, the month of Ramadan? Yes, I think it's a very important point. Uh, all other aspects are manifestations of human actions, but what, what is the main purpose? Why do people fast? So in the Quran, uh, the, the Almighty says that uh, fasting has been made compulsory upon you. The way it has been made uh, or to the religions of the past. And of course we know uh, in different situations and different circumstances and different ways uh, there is, has been fasting has been part of religion whether it be in Christianity mm-hmm. in Judaism in other religions. The Quran says so that you gain a consciousness of the Almighty. Hmm. And we, we put it in this way that uh, this what the Almighty wants us to achieve in fasting is a level of consciousness of the Almighty Uh, that creates a desire to mold our existence in accordance with that consciousness that the Almighty is with you at all all times. So uh, how how we put it that if someone gives you water, uh, which in normal circumstances is permissible to have, it's permissible to eat, it's permissible to have water, it's permissible to have uh, uh, intimacy with with your spouse, etc. But in fasting, you said, no, I can't have this water because... The Almighty has prohibited me from fasting from this time to that time. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you, uh, you know, you, uh, you discipline yourself to be able to stay away from things that are permitted. Sometimes blessed. We all know that there's a special water that we drink that comes from the Mecca, from the, uh, the Zamzam well. Now, that is a blessed water. But if someone tells you, drink this blessed water while you are fasting, you will say, no, I can't do it, I'm fasting. Mm-hmm. So when you discipline yourself to stay away from things that are permitted uh, and things that are blessed, things that are rewarding that normally you can have, uh, why can't you discipline yourself to stay away from things that are evil? Why can't you stay away from backbiting, dishonesty, hurting people, inconveniencing people? So one of the aspects is a consciousness of and a discipline of your, of your desires and yourself that when you can... Uh, Discipline yourself to stay away from permitted things. Why can't you discipline yourself to stay away from things that are prohibited? So that is one of the aspects. And of course, the consciousness of the Almighty is always going to be the greatest reason why people stay away from from evil. The Almighty is watching me. Yes. I can't do this. What if so, one fails? What if you fail to maintain that discipline of your desires? What if you find yourself gossiping, complaining, being angry, you know, expressing uh, the negative thoughts and emotions that you, you are expressly supposed to avoid during this time? Or we, even we, we normally say that the Almighty, firstly, we always endeavor to try and fulfill it. And if, for example, we fail, we go back to the Almighty in, in repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we always ask the Almighty for, for, for repentance and forgiving. We, we can't we can't say that our failing is correct. So we can't justify our failing. But what we do is, 
if we do fail, we acknowledge that we have done wrong and we turn to the Almighty. And the Prophet Muhammad has told us uh, that the first uh, sign and uh, acceptance of repentance is acknowledgement and remorse of the wrong that you have done. So, yeah, there is going to be failing. There is going to be failing with regard to a human being. Mm. There is a saying of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that each and every human being, each and every believer, other than the prophets, are free from sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the best of people who sin are those who turn back to the Almighty, seeking repentance and seeking the forgiveness of the Almighty. Mm. So when we do... Uh, we, we, it's a cycle, you know, that uh, when we do for fail, we go back to the Almighty and ask Him for repentance and we start anew, we start afresh. Yes, yes. And apart from um, the thoughts and emotions and a spiritual state, what kind of things invalidate or nullify a fast, things that we do physically? Well, physically there are three things that we are not allowed to, to do uh, spiritually. Uh, there is, there is a, a lot of emphasis upon the spiritual aspect. For example, there is a saying of the Prophet Muhammad that he would have not stay away from backbiting. Almighty is not in need of him staying away from food and drink. Uh, so there is an aspect that uh, fasting is not only for you to stay away from food and drink, which is, of course, the technical requirement for you to fast, but it's also a spiritual discipline that you stay away from dishonesty, you stay away from backbiting, you stay away from speaking bad about someone. But basically, in terms of the technical juristic ruling, we are supposed to stay away from having, consuming any food, any drink, and any type of intimacy with our spouses. Well, that that question did come in, you know, as people are uh, curious about that aspect. Here's another voice note, uh, Mulana. Good day, 702 listeners. Good day, 702. My name is Hussein. I'm Muslim Rivad. Uh, I just have a question for Mulana Ibrahim. If you could kindly clarify uh, uh, the sighting of the moon for me. Like uh, in Saudi Arabia, they started a day before uh, South Africa. So based on the evidences and what we learned from the, the scholars of Islam is that uh, we should trust them on the sighting of the moon. So we should all fast. Or you can just please clear uh, the what's with the confusion around uh, this issue for me please mm. uh, Mulana do you follow the lead of Saudi yes, Arabia I, 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 it, it is something that uh, you know you, in, in every religion you have a situation where you cannot gain, gain complete unanimity on an issue uh, this is one of the issues that we have a situation where uh, there isn't unanimity with regard to uh, uh, you know scholars throughout the world in terms of determining uh, when to when to fast yes there is a situation with regard to... You see, it, it brings about a whole complete new science. Now, all of a sudden, Muslims would be very well versed, which I don't think maybe because non-Muslims might not be coming into contact with it, we will know the exact date of the birth of the moon. Uh, we will know when, the, when, when it is, uh, how many hours the moon would be on the night when we are supposed to sight the moon. For I'll just give you an example. Uh, this particular uh, year... Uh, the moon would be 20 hours in Gauteng, close to 21 hours in Cape Town, at the time when we are supposed to sight the moon. Normally, the moon cannot be sighted uh, when the, the moon is, uh, be, you know, below 18 hours. It has to be uh, 18 hours and beyond for the moon to be sighted with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, although it's maybe perhaps possible, but the leg of the, and of course in winter months it's more difficult to sight than in summer months, the leg of the moon is such that the astronomical calculation says that it is very improbable to sight the moon. The same thing will happen with regard to Saudi. Saudi do, does see it a day before 
it doesn't inspire complete confidence in throughout many parts of the world because people say that you cited it at a time when astronomically it's not possible to cite it. So you have these juristic type of differences. What we normally say that, you know, in whichever country you are, follow the juristic rulings of the scholars of that time right. or the scholars of that um, region to gain some sort of unanimity. And in South Africa, we have been rather fortunate that we do have mechanisms uh, to have uh, some degree of unanimity in terms of the beginning and the end of uh, the fasting month. Mm. So how has the pandemic affected Ramadan? I know debates have also raged about uh, alcohol in the the sanitizers, you know, uh, not during Ramadan per se, but, you know, the pandemic has affected religious practices uh, in all sorts of ways. And when it comes to Islam, um, the, 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 the alcohol and sanitizers, you know, has caused great uh, and interesting debates. But how has the pandemic affected Ramadan? Well, we are fortunate uh, this year comparative to last year. Last year there was, at the time of Ramadan, a complete lockdown. Mm. And uh, uh, I know that many Muslims went uh, to the president at that time, made uh, uh, petitions, etc. But of course, that time was a situation where the entire country was in lockdown. And people by and large abided by it. So whether it be the churches or whether it be the mosque. So at that particular time last year, we we have special prayers uh, where we conclude the Holy Quran. So last year there was there was very little, you know, and even if there were people who were there, there was a token uh, uh, presence of the, for example, the Imam who normally lived uh, lived in the masjid premises. So he just um, a token presence with regard to people who were carrying it out. But there were no congregational prayers, so people did their prayers mostly uh, in their own homes or in small uh, pockets uh, with 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 a neighbor, etc. Uh, and this year, there is a certain degree where we are allowed. So there mm-hmm. is an allowance, for example, of um, uh, 500 people outdoor, 250 indoor. So we have been, uh, we have made uh, arrangements accordingly where people have been congregated in those particular type of numbers uh, to conclude and to fulfill their obligations. Right. So is there specific, if we could turn to food, and we'll come to Eid al fatah in a moment, but... Um, is maybe, there, maybe one aspect could I just add, yes. you know, uh, one thing that also in terms of the spirituality, I spoke about the consciousness of the Almighty and mm-hmm. how we discipline ourselves. One of the things that the Prophet Muhammad also made mention was that it is a month of inculcating kindness and compassion. And uh, to, to me, this is a, a very important point. And the reason why I find it so interesting is because kindness and compassion sometimes also comes about when you when you come to understand uh, the difficulty or the situation and circumstances some people might be having. Now, when you are having a comfortable life, you're having three square meals a day, mm. sometimes it might be very difficult for you to understand the plight of the poor. And, uh, you know, to, to understand that a very famous statement, although nowadays when I see in Google, they, they, they cast doubts with regard to the authenticity mm-hmm. of that statement, but um, Mario Antoinette at the time of the French Revolution, uh, when she was told that uh, the queen was told that people are uh, hungry because there is no bread, and mm-hmm. said, "Well, they don't have bread, let, let them eat." Them... Yes. And uh, when you when you actually have a situation where you all the time satiated, sometimes it might be difficult for you to understand what the poor are going through. But when you are fasting, there are days when you find it difficult to fast, and then you realize I'm doing it because of a religious obligation. There are other people because of circumstances; mm. they can't have food because they can't put food on the table. And then that kindness, that understanding of what they are going through uh, comes a reality more 
than, than when you are having three square meals a day. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so with that compassion, to know hunger, to know thirst, helps us to have compassion for people who don't have and hopefully will increase the duty, our sense of duty to help those that are in need. Um, important lesson. So I was asking about food earlier, and food is a big part of the festivities to end the fast, to end Ramadan uh, with Eid al-Fitr when it begins. But... Is there a prescribed or a, a guided way of eating, a diet to follow, to help uh, with fasting? Yes, we know you break fast at dusk and dawn, um, but is there a particular guideline? Yes, you know, it, it's very interesting. Uh, this question is a very... You know, normally uh, we, we have been told to break uh, the fast with dates. Now, the Prophet Muhammad yes. used to break uh, the fast with dates and with water. And by and large, the, the Prophet's diet was very simple and the prophet's life was very simple as with most of the prophets of yore but uh, what we do find human beings the human beings we do have a situation that according to the different uh, cuisines people adopt uh, and of course we, we we make a lot of uh, you know we we talk about it as as scholars we tell people please do not pay too much of emphasis upon this but you have human beings and then uh, you have the cultural manifestations so for example in the indo-pak subcontinent you have the samosa, you know, and that is the way that people will have savouries at the time of breaking their fast. So you will have a kajur, you will have a date, you will have water, and then you will have your savouries. And this year, there was a new phenomenon which, uh, which we, we laughed about was uh, that there were different colors of samosas that came out in the market. And then, of course, you have the North African cuisine, where you find a lot of uh, hummus, a lot of yogurt, and a lot, a lot of that has been used. Uh, so every every region... Uh, according to where Muslims are, have a different manifestation, a cultural manifestation of the preferences they would have in terms of um, uh, the food that they would consume. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also noticed that among the younger people nowadays, uh, there is a trend uh, that let us get away from the savouries because it, it requires uh, it to have be deep, deep fried, which yes. is not uh, <laughs> ideal in terms of health. So you have the younger people coming and said, no, we need to to have uh, our fasting and break our fasting with something which is more nutritious or more more healthy. But of course, that is, I suppose, the beauty of human civilization, yeah. you know, uh, and, and we our borrow, yes, and adapt. Mm, and we borrow and adapt accordingly. Uh, here's a question. Um, what if I'm not a Muslim and would like to fast during Ramadan? Is that is that acceptable? Very interesting. I read a very interesting article recently in the IPL, which has now been suspended. Uh, I saw the, the, the New Zealand cricket captain, mm. uh, Williamson, uh, saying that he had joined his teammates who were Muslims in fasting, and he wanted to experience it. And I know of many people who have, who have done that, who have uh, fasted with their Muslim colleagues. It's a thing that comes up from time to time. Uh, it will be, uh, if people do it, we can uh, obviously... Um, oblige people to fast, um, you know, who are not uh, required to do so by the religion. But if someone does it, I've seen that it has become a trend. Uh, I saw it in the in the soccer world. Uh, I saw uh, one or two quotes and tweets from people in the English Premier League speaking about respect for the Muslims who were fasting. Yes. I saw the, the, the game, one game that Wesley was... Fofana, yeah, when he thanked um, some of his team members for just... Yes, it yes. was the goalie, I think. Yes, they stopped yes, play yes. so that he could break fast. But I, I would just like to say well, two things in this regard. How do non-Muslims look at Muslims who are fasting? First of all, as a Muslim, you can't expect 
uh, a non-Muslim to, to, to not eat, eat in front of you. It's not compulsory for him to fast. So uh, if, for example, uh, that uh, situation happens, you are in a meeting in which uh, they are having tea or coffee, mm-hmm. you can't uh, really uh, uh, take offense to it. That's one. But, of course, there are people who will, for example, be a little bit more sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a culture that uh, we Muslim, I mean, South Africans have grown up with that we do have a certain degree of uh, sensitivity towards one another. Yeah. But I, th- I would look at it from both point, points of view. Exactly. A Muslim can't be offended because he has no right to be offended if someone eats in front of him because that is not his religious obligation or religious requirement. But if someone does it out of sensitivity, well, I suppose it would be something that uh, would be appreciated. Yes. Mulana, thank you for this past hour. It's been very engaging, very informative. You've clarified uh, various areas of the holy month and looking forward to uh, also observing Eid. Um, Thank you very much for this time this afternoon. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. That's Mulana Ibrahim Bam, Imam of the Newtown Mosque and SG of the Council of Muslim Theologians. And that was really an interesting masterclass. And I think we should also make time on the show to do something on Yom Kippur and uh, Rosh Hashanah, for instance. Just look at uh, some of the other religious uh, periods, the other religious observe, uh, um, uh, what other religions observe um, and um, educate each other so we can all be familiar with what is significant to one another.